Would you join with me in prayer? Dear loving God, let the words that we just heard fill our hearts and our minds and our souls that we may be called into action to go do justice, to walk with loving kindness, and to support every human life in this world. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you today. Amen. Friends, I have some good news. I turned in my first draft of my thesis. As a third-year master's student at Harvard Divinity School, I am required to take on this said thesis. Mine happens to center on my great-grandmother, Dorothy Chaco, and the meaning that I have gained through her life stories about how to live out our Christian faith. And let me tell you, it has been a labor of love. My last sermon in November was about my grandma Chaco, and today is the second installment of, installment of that, a sort of part two sermon series given six weeks later, if you will. One of the books that I used in my thesis is called Inheriting Our Mother's Gardens, and it is about feminist theology or the approach of reinventing traditions and practices and scripture from a female positive perspective. Feminist theology believes that it is vital to listen to the voices of those who are pushed to the outer edges of our worlds. Because through the hearing of their stories, we can begin to heal. And that is because feminist theology believes that we are all interconnected to one another. And that when any one of us hurts, humanity as a whole is damaged. There's a quote on page 15 of the book that does a pretty good job at summing it up. By listening to the voices of those who have been excluded and beginning with their oppression and their marginality, we may find a way to cultivate a global garden together. Now I'll say that one more time. By listening to the voices of those who have been excluded and by beginning with their oppression and their marginality, we may find a way to cultivate a global garden together. In this project, I've come to understand my great-grandma as quite the feminist. In my last sermon on her, I reported that she did some extraordinary things as a woman in her life. She was one of the first women to attend Columbia University's College of Physicians and Surgeons. She was the first woman to have residency in the Metropolitan Hospital in New York City in both medicine and in surgery. And according to my family myth, anyway, she was the first woman to drive an ambulance in New York City. <laughs> 
She and my great-grandfather, Joseph Chaco, moved to his home country of India in 1932. And there she practiced medicine, specializing by necessity of demand in women's health and family planning for 36 years. A vast majority of her life was devoted to a group of people who were kept on the fringes of society. Instead of allowing her patients to believe that infertility was always the fault of the woman, she empowered them to find creative solutions to the problem, such as identifying a medical reason within the husband and instructing the wife to mix in the medicine into his food, knowing that culturally he wouldn't take it himself. She convinced wives of well-to-do Brits, Indians, and Americans to volunteer at her clinics by putting on skits about hygiene and family planning in the waiting room. Grandma Chaco's life, if I were to describe it in motion, I would say would be arms constantly reaching out as far as they could go and bringing people on the outside ever inward. She was in the business of cultivating global gardens. But it wasn't until recently that I realized just how deeply this, femi this feminism was uh, ingrained in her. The Dunning side of my family has a genealogical book called The Dunning Chronicles. And I knew that this book existed, but until last week, I didn't really realize how much it contained. It's filled with pictures and anecdotes and story after story of my grandma Chaco. And best of all, most of what pertains to my grandma was actually written by her. I never had the opportunity to get to know grandma Chaco in real life, but this book presented the next best thing, knowing her in prose. One of the stories included about her life demonstrates her personality from a very young age. She wrote, from my earliest years, I wanted to be a doctor. Perhaps because my grandmother, Sarah Woodworth, had the same ambition, but women didn't become doctors in her day. Now, I have no idea why Sarah Woodworth didn't become a doctor. Perhaps societal pressures, deterred her from trying, or perhaps her parents wouldn't allow it, or perhaps she was constrained by her life circumstances. All I know from this one sentence that my great-great-great-grandma Sarah didn't achieve her ambition of becoming a doctor due to the fact that she was a woman. And it also seems that my grandma Chaco felt a calling to have her life somehow atone for that fact. It was with one sentence written by my grandma Chaco that I realized that she was doing the work of the women who wrote Inheriting Our Mother's Gardens. Grandma Chaco inherently saw the disparage that her grandmother and, of course, many women faced. She heard it and she felt their pain and decided to inherit that garden and to till it herself. Somehow, at that tender age, Grandma Chaco could recognize 
that she was given and afforded opportunities that her foremothers never were. And it wasn't only because she was standing, and it was only because she was standing on their shoulders that she was awarded such privilege. But in the very next sentence, Grandma Chaco wrote, at age eight, I decided I would be a doctor in a country where women doctors could do the work a man couldn't. Under the Congregational Board, this meant Turkey or India. How ironic is that? Having Grandma Chaco declare that she wanted to become a doctor, partially at least, because her grandmother couldn't, and then in the next expression, to want to do the work that only a woman could do as a doctor is a prime example of her desire to give back to others. I understand this as a way to honor her foremother's pain and oppression in order to help liberate others from their own. By making herself aware of the plight of others, she was inviting their stories into her world, like adding fertilizer into soil in order to make the most hospitable environment to cultivate all varieties of vegetation. Her call to be a doctor and the specific ways in which she helped women and families and men by proxy was her tool to till God's garden to find those who were on the edge, the fringes of society, to nurture them and to help them develop without being unfairly stunted. I understand the passage from James to be inviting us to hear and act upon a very similar message. Like how the women in Inheriting Our Mother's Gardens call for us to cultivate a global garden by lending our ear to those who have been oppressed or those who are experiencing pain. This James passage also describes how we should live our lives and how we should treat one another. The message version of the Bible paraphrases verse 21 like this. In simple humility, let our gardener, God, landscape you with the word, making a salvation garden of your life. This passage, in the midst of a caution to reserve judgment and anger, is calling us to act on how we hear God in our lives. It's an invitation for us to be quick to listen. For when we listen to the lives of stories of others, we understand who they are and what they're dealing with. It's a call for us to be slow to speak, for when we let other voices be shared as much as ours, we displace some of that privilege that is awarded to us. It's a call for us to walk the walk in loving the whole entire world as our neighbor. The message also has a very colorful take on the last two verses. Anyone who sets himself up as religious by taking a good game is self-deceived. This kind of religion is hot air, and only hot air. Real religion, the kind that passes muster before God the Creator, is this. Reach out to the homeless 
and loveless in their plight, and guard against corruption from the godless world. Essentially, cultivate God's global garden. Till lives and plant seeds of faith in all that you do. Of course, anyone who gardens or does landscaping knows that this is not easy work. Working in God's garden can be just as laborious. Sometimes the section of the garden we find ourselves in is in rough shape. The ground might be rocky or parched of water or stripped of its vital nutrients. Perhaps the specific plant that we're trying to nurture is hard to tend to, demanding our time and our attention and our care. Succulents are certainly easier to cultivate than an orchid. They need much less tending to. Yet what would happen if nobody put time and effort into cultivating orchids? The world would be rid of the beauty that orchids offer us. By supplying the orchid with its specific needs, it has the opportunity to bloom and to grow, develop into its full potential. I invite you to think about who in your life might be an orchid needing to be tended to. What might they need to grow? How can you help them reach the rich and nutritious soil that provides the best foundation and equal opportunities to develop and thrive? Furthermore, what does your own garden look like? Are there thistles choking back your flourishing? What kind of pain or oppression or guilt or privilege needs to be listened to and tended to? What things might be holding you back from letting God turn you into a salvation garden, a garden that saves in everything that you do? How do you need to be cared for others so that way you can care for others in God's global garden? When we do this work with ourselves and with others, many things happen, I think. I think it's subversive, firstly. Listening to the pain of yourself, your ancestors, and others, it's, it's not easy. And allowing it to be heard, to be really heard, can change that dusty soil and to change it into mineral-soaked earth that gives life. It flips the script and it undermines those who would keep those plots of land lacking in nutrients and void of irrigation. The process of reversing this kind of mentality in order to reimagine those previously excluded it intrinsically involves healing, radical healing. It's reconciliatory to give rise to people who have been kept on the margins, to hear their stories, and to offer them whatever it is that they need in order to have the same chances at growth. During Lent this past year, Kent talked about the intricate and miraculous process that is germination, the way a seed starts to come to life. Indeed, each seed is a miracle. And in God's garden, we are each seeds.
each one of us a miracle. But humans are not only one variety of plant or flower. Some of our seeds are more reluctant to sprout. Some are planted in poor soil. Some are robust. Others, simple. I wonder if even more accurate than the image of a garden, if human beings act more as a terrarium or a self-contained ecosystem. At its optimum, our coexistence with a different species than ourselves preserves our environment so we can all thrive. Each organism reliant upon the other. When the soil in that ecosystem becomes tainted, the whole system hurts. In the same way, when we turn our back on another person, we harm our global ecosystem. When a brother or sister isn't given the opportunity to grow because of racism or poverty or immigration or incarceration, whatever, the whole garden suffers. Grandpa and Grandma Chaco moved from India to Westchester, Pennsylvania, in 1968. Grandpa Chaco had received a professorship at what is now known as Widener University. I'm told at the time that Westchester was known for being crime-ridden, dirty, and full of questionable characters. The downtown area was less than attractive and showed signs of decay. And as my mom tells the story, Grandma Chaco was known for filling the large pots that were vacant, that lined Main Street with beautiful flowers on a regular basis, despite them inevitably being ripped up only shortly thereafter. When asked why she continued to waste her efforts on this renegade gardening, she responded, the people of this town need to know that they deserve to be surrounded by beauty. Whether it was treating marginalized women in India, or whether it was trying to break down people's perceptions of what beauty they deserve to have in their lives, my grandma Chaco was constantly cultivating God's garden. I relish the fact that I have the opportunity to learn from her gardening skills. When we listen to the plights of others, may we allow God to turn us into tillers of human lives so all may know the beauty that is God's global garden. Amen.